Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and this is The Checkup. guy and I'm so encouraged that you are here with us today and of course we have a another exciting podcast for you well I think it's pretty exciting because I love the content I love the study I love everything that we do uh, for this recovery movement to help and encourage and inspire uh, you uh, in your pursuit of, um, of becoming well right becoming from broken to hold. So thank you so much for your continual support. Thank you for your continual outreach and sharing uh, uh, with me what uh, what you might see done. Uh, thank you for all of those who have gone to recoveryguide.org and registered for our upcoming newsletter. Super excited about that. So go to recoveryguide.org. You can get all of the blogs, sign up for the newsletter that's coming out. I got a fantastic uh, response back from my, sen- my friend Susie. And she is going to be doing uh, a um, uh, Susie Says or Susie's Corner, whatever she decides to call it. But she is going to be a part of our newsletter. That is going to be a bi-monthly newsletter. And we are going to have our first uh, release either the 16th or the 17th of June. So register now. Pablo has a template set up to send you an automatic uh, response to your email, letting you know, um, thanking you, of course, but letting you know that you will be getting this newsletter. Now, the newsletter is only going to be available to those who register. Obviously, the podcast and the blogs are available to anyone, anytime. Uh, even uh, Jonathan has a list under the podcast what your favorite podcast channel might be or or how to locate those podcasts uh, uh, best. So either way, go to recoveryguide.org, continue to download, register, share. Uh, let's get this message out, right? Recovery is a movement that uh, is big enough uh, uh size umbrella to fit everyone underneath it. And it really doesn't matter what you're recovering from, whether it's alcohol, drugs, um, food, bulimia, anorexia, gambling. It really doesn't matter if it's a, a substance or a behavior that's unrelated to a particular substance. We all want to get well. We all can get well. And we recover one day at a time for the rest of our lives. You know, today's topic, um, is called Taming Toxic Shame. Taming Toxic Shame, and I was really thinking about this the other day uh, because quite honestly, one one of the things that I did not learn about until I began pursuing my addictions degree was toxic shame. Uh, I had um, already had grown really so much through my uh, 12-step program. And by this time, I was uh, attending church on a regular basis. Uh, I was I was actually seven years clean and sober. And by that time, I had understood that uh, one day at a time, I would stay sober for the rest of my life. Uh, not just could, because could would leave an element of doubt, and I was completely confident so that I would stay sober for the rest of my life. Uh, obviously, what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual conditioning. So the question was, was whether or not I could maintain my spiritual conditioning to get that daily reprieve. And I knew 
that I was capable and I would do that. And that was 27 years ago. I'm still here, sober and clean and living a life beyond my dreams. Not a perfect life. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection, but I can certainly aim for perfection, right? Not guaranteed to hit it. You know, the God of my understanding, God as I understand God, that image is perfect. However, because I'm human and subject to human frailty, um, I am a work in progress and and very happy uh, to be so. One area that really interested me was this area of toxic shame. Again, I had not heard the term before, but the more I read and learned, the more I realized that I had suffered from it. I also understood that if I wanted to become even more well, or as Tom Bennett would say, weller than the well, then I would see how this event, this life event really, had uh, had affected me. So I want to reference a few different people uh, and websites along the way. Uh, so the first one, I want to... Um, uh, recognize and reference uh, an amazing author and book. It's called Bradshaw on the Family, and it was written by John Bradshaw. And I will include a, a link to John's website at the end of the podcast description, uh, along with a couple others. It, it's it's a read well worth it. This was actually required reading uh, while in college and pursuing my degree. Uh, I also encourage you to um, refer to it for a further examination, not just a a reference point confirming or discussing what toxic shame is, but it's a great overall book to understanding the family afterward and all the dynamics and things that we have to work through. Some of you may not have to touch this much at all. Others, such as me, might have to do it a lot more, and then there are others that really need to dive into the deep end of the pool of this uh, sooner rather than later. So with that, let's go ahead and define toxic shame, you know, what it, what it does and, and how we can reduce it. Uh, I'm not certain if we can ever eradicate it fully uh, from our lives. What I am convinced of, though, that what we can't completely remove we can tame, right? I'm still, after 34 plus years of recovering, I'm still understanding some areas and things that may come up. And I thought, you know, I thought I got rid of that, but sometimes there's remnants of things that sort of remind us that we still need work from the inside out, right? So Richard Gannon, and, I, and I've got uh, Mr. Gannon's link uh, uh, at the end of this uh, whole podcast description today that will be in the um, in at the end of the download he defines toxic shame this is rather involved and so you might want to go back and download and read the notes on this i'll make sure i include this in the uh, podcast definition or notes as it were but toxic shame he defines it as neurotic irrational feeling of worthlessness humiliation self-loathing and paralyzing feeling that has been inflicted onto an individual through repeated traumatic experience experiences often but not always rooted in childhood wow 
that is a thought. That is, boy, you could you could unpack that and, and spend an afternoon just trying to um, uh, put some legs to it and see how it uh, really affects us. Uh, some of it may affect you more than others. Some of it uh, maybe there there's more to be said, right? But it's a neurotic or irrational feeling. I like that word because irrational means it it doesn't it doesn't make sense to think this way because the likelihood is this toxic shame it does not define us and yet we act as if it does and that and that is translated into that feeling of worthlessness that self humiliation that self-loathing that says we're not good enough. <laughs> it's like that perfectly shaped woman, and women are especially um, uh, affected by this in the area of, uh, of of their size and their shape because society and fashion magazines so defines what the beauty of a woman is and how much a woman should weigh based on her height and, and all of those things, right? And so women who are perfectly fine and healthy and you could be slight in your frame or large in your frame but it but it doesn't define who you are or even your beauty i've seen some larger women who are absolutely gorgeous and they're knockouts and and i wouldn't want them to think they had to change anything for anyone and then i've seen women who are much smaller and who are more frail who, who wonder why they are and think they need to be more and, and all the back and forth and that self-humiliation and self-loathing that no matter what they do, they're not good enough. Uh, that's what this toxic shame can bring upon us, that something's wrong with me. And as Mr. Gannon uh, states again, it not always, but is often rooted in childhood. And that's why I think it's a great idea to um, when we go to recount our life and we're looking to find out where things start, um, we need to go back in, in areas and and really sort of understand where this whole thing took root. Because I know that I work in my yard a lot, and I know I can, I I can I can weed whack something, but in two weeks it's going to show up again. And so what I need to do is I need to go down to the root of that and pull it out, and then maybe even put some uh, weed be gone on it, medicate it, right? So it doesn't come back. And then I need to pay attention to it so it doesn't pop up somewhere else, right? And so the same way here, this is, um, I don't know, I guess essentially what you could say is um, toxic shame is what happens when feeling badly about aspects or the totality of who we are uh, as if it was stamped into our DNA, almost like an, an inescapable condition, kind of like my alcoholism and drug addiction. My alcoholism, because I have a mental obsession coupled with a physical allergy, um, and, and I talked about it um, last week in the delusion, right? The delusion that we are like other people are presently may be has to be smashed, right? That was in a Tuesday's podcast called Getting Smashed, because Addiction is stamped in my DNA. That is why I can never safely consume alcohol, especially drugs, again, 
uh, on, on any basis whatsoever because it is in my DNA. And, and sometimes we act as if this image based on toxic shame is in our DNA as well, but it's not. It is a neurotic and irrational feeling, right? So it is psychology, and, and, and that's why one of, my, one of my links today is, is um, over to Psych Central. Um, so, and I, and I really think this is one of the reasons why there, there's really no quick fix we will, we will likely require the help of someone else, and we may not accomplish complete removal in our lifetime. Having said that, there is hope for us, right? And if there's, if there's hope in the future, John Maxwell said, there's power in the present. And who doesn't like just a little bit of power? So we must first identify toxic shame uh, as, as a block wall in our life. Almost like a rut, right? Um, a rut is defined as um, uh, metaphorically as as a grave with both ends kicked out of it. And if we don't get out of it, we're going to die there. So when we consider toxic shame as a block wall, essentially it means that if we don't go around it as if it, it's not real, as because it's not, it's a neurotic, irrational feeling. Uh, if we don't get around it, bypass it, or find a way through it, we will spend our lifetime pounding our head against a wall. And this is true. You, you can disagree with a lot of things, but this is true. One of the things that my sponsor, Will, said, Will has been my sponsor since Jack died a year and a half ago, but I knew Will early on in recovery. And he would say to me, because I would have these recurring issues and challenges, and he would say, Bobby, you know, you don't have to keep pounding your head against that. You know, you have an option. You can either work through the challenge if you think you need to, or you can just say it's not real, it doesn't deserve my attention, and go around it. And those were my options then. And, And later on, I would learn about toxic shame and understand that it was that same brick wall. So as people of recovery, especially those of us who are uh, alcoholic or drug addicted, the first thing we must do is make a daily commitment to not drink or use. I think this is essential. We have to make a daily commitment to not drink or use. When we're under the influence, very little anything of substance will be absorbed or acted upon, period. So before we really need, again, this is for alcoholics and drug addicts, uh, before we can really begin experiencing any type of change or going into the direction, then we have to stop that behavior. We have to stop the alcohol and drugs. And, and, if you're, and if you're addicted to a behavior, whether it's a bulimia, compulsive overeating, or, or gambling, uh, anything like that, pornography, we must be committed to stop that behavior, period. So let's look at some of the things I think we can do to minimize the negative results of toxic shame as we reduce it from our identity. And of course, we look to completely 
eradicate it, right? The goal is to completely remove it all the way down to the root, medicate it, you know, cauterize it so it doesn't come back. But we certainly want to reduce it as it is truly in our way in all forms of personal relationships, either the the, the depth or or the or the uh, lasting nature of it. It affects us in our workplace. It affects us in our finances. It affects us in our spiritual relationship with the power greater than ourselves. It affects us on levels we don't even understand, and yet something happens and we know we don't like it, and it causes us to retreat on on emotional, physical, mental, or even spiritual levels, and we don't even know why, guarantee you the likelihood is it is is toxic shame. So here are some of the things that we can do, and these are just things off the top of my head. If you agree with them, fantastic. If you want to rewrite them, that's wonderful. Um, I don't don't claim any... uh, uh, ownership of them there for us to share. So feel free to add to, edit, change, whatever you want to do. These are just nine things that I think are important for us to uh, take a look at. The first one is recognize that we are suffering from something we did not do to ourselves. Let that sink in for a second. Recognize that we are suffering from something we did not do to ourselves. And I, and I like where uh, Mr. Gannon put in there about the self-loathing. This is very important. We, we didn't do it to us, especially for those of us who, who experienced that trauma uh, as a child. I remember two things. You know, my dad, first of all, I want you to know my dad loved me. My dad was a, was a wonderful person who happened to be alcoholic. And, you know, like so many of us, you know, when, when we drink or we use, really all bets are off. You know, we, we stop being who we could be or who we want to be because alcohol and drugs changes and it, and it redefines and, and uh, renumbers our priorities. But I, but I grew up, I, I went to bed until I was 11 years old. And so I grew up being called uh, pisspot. You know, and, and that, you, you probably understand, for those of you who grew up with that negative connotation. And, you know, my dad didn't mean harm. My dad loved me. He, he didn't set out to harm me, right? Um but that's the way it was. And, and, and also, I used to love to take things apart. And I still do. Today, I even put them back together. Um, but I would try to take things apart. And I remember on a few occasions, I would take something apart. And, and, and while it was apart, um, I would be accused of breaking it. And it would be taken from me as now broken. And the, and the shame came where don't let, don't let Bobby have this because he'll break it. So here I was, a piss pot who, when touched things, would break them. And consequently, 
from broken to whole, right? The motto, you, you get me? Get a little idea of where that all comes from? It, it didn't come from as a, as a witty um, uh, motto. It, it came from me. It, I was broken. And, and I'm learning how to become even more whole as we go through life today. I want you to know that uh, just, just closing about my dad, um, my dad uh, died, God rest his soul, when he was 62 years old of morbid obesity, and we had become the friends. So there's a great end to the story. We've become the friends I had always wanted us to become, and I'm so grateful to have been given that closure. And I got to see my dad for the man he would have been had alcohol not gotten in the way. And for that, I'm so, so grateful. But there was a time I was chatting with my mom, and to make a long story short, I asked my mom, I said, Dad, Mom, tell me about Dad. Tell me about what it was like for him to grow up. And and she said, Bobby, um, your grandfather was so mean. She said, I know sometimes your dad seemed to be mean and uncaring, but if you saw how he was brought up, you would understand a little bit more. You know, to this day, gosh, I, I didn't think I would get this emotional. I didn't know I was going to share this part with you. But I really look at my dad differently because he suffered from toxic shame and he didn't even know it. And uh, I think that's why sometimes it's so important to me. And I hope it's important to you. So recognize that we're suffering from something that we did not do to ourselves. Number two, realize that and this goes back to, to my dad. Um, and again, I, I, I didn't realize the connection here. Realize that people who bring us harm were likely harm themselves. Now I could actually insert that story and uh, you, would, you would understand the, uh, the relevancy even more. But realize that people who bring us harm were likely harm themselves. And that is why we need to be willing to forgive others. I'm not saying excuse them, right? Because we need to accept personal responsibility. But if if we're harmed from people who were harmed, remember my uh, one of my podcasts, Hurt People Hurt People? Remember that? I thought it was pretty clever in that title. Hurt People Hurt People. A type of person does a particular type of thing. And and again, I don't excuse their behavior because they are responsible and accountable for it. But that doesn't mean I can't forgive them and I can't understand them. You know, seek first to understand, right? Rather than to be understood. So number three is, and I think you're going to like the redundancy and understand it, Share, share, share. And just when you think you have shared everything, share more. This is really true for me in my life. I'm so glad that I have such a wonderful relationship with with God as I understand God, an incredible relationship with Laura, a wonderful relationship with my children, a great relationship with my sponsor, Will, and and a few others that I just share, right? And what do we do in 12-step recovery? We share our experience, strength, and hope with each other. 
that we might solve our common problem and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And share is a continuum. It's a, it's a, it's a verb without end. It's not shared. We shared our experience. No, we share our experience. It's something that we go on every day. So share, share, share. And my friend, Lindsay, uh, who is a, uh, uh, double mysectomy, uh, breast cancer survivor, and a soldier of of wellness and suffering from PTSD. And God bless her. I I love her. She is one of my uh, uh, she's one of my heroes. And uh, and that's what she does. She shares, shares, and shares. And just when you think you've shared everything, we share more. We become transparent. Not that people can see us to harm us, but so they can see us, so the harm is removed. Number five, establish positive reinforcement statements and practice them throughout the day. Again, that whole self-talk, the most powerful form of communication is what I say to me. No matter what I say to you or you say to me, until I agree, it's not true. And I love the adage that if, if I told you the negative things that you tell yourself, would you allow me to be in your life? Well, probably not. So I need to establish positive reinforcement statements and practice them throughout the day. Because throughout my day, my toxic shame, especially as I'm working through it, can come and go in filters. It can hit me like a wave. It can hit me like a quick jolt of an earthquake. If I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake before, but there's the rolling kinds that sort of last or those big jolts that sort of just shock you. You know it's an earthquake. It's not, gee, I wonder what that feeling is. I wonder if we're having an earthquake. And then it builds. No, it, it hits us. Boom. It's right out of the gate. It's rocking us. So we need to make sure that we practice that. Whether or not those things will occur, we know they will. When they will, that's the question. So if I'm practicing throughout my day and practicing healthy habits, the likelihood when it does come along, I will be okay. Here's another practical biggie. Again, going back from my my understanding of 12 steps and biblical principles, Change old playgrounds and playmates that have any associations with the shame. For some people in relationships, tangible or where you live relation-wise, that physical location, that may be harder for some of you than others, but we need to do this whenever possible, wherever possible. Change old playgrounds, old playmates that have any association with the shame. Number seven, seek professional help without guilt. You know, some of us, we're just sicker than others, right? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is recognizing we need help and not seeking it. That is the challenge. That is what I can control. I might not have controlled how I got the toxic shame. But once I identify and admit it, now I do have control as to the place it has in my life, what I'm willing to do to overcome it, and the help I'm willing to seek 
to remove it, eradicate it, minimize it in my life. Seek professional help without guilt because it's not our fault. I'm going to be talking um, over the next few weeks on ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, and I and I think I'm going to enlist my friend Scott Brickner. Scotty, of course, is CEO and, and heads up Welcome Home Sober Living in Southern California, and, and Scotty's got a great story about ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, and I think I'll get some thoughts from him on that and get that done in the next couple of weeks. The next thing, number eight, view the progress as a daily journey not a predetermined destination with a time frame. I think this really defines itself. We are daily journey. We're getting this. I don't want my life, my recovery, I don't want it to be a destination. You know why? I never want to be done. And I hope you never want to be done either. That doesn't mean that we allow things to lay around unnecessarily, but it means We're never going to be perfect. We always want to be working on something. That is so much fun. Always working on something to overcome and the joy we have when we overcome it. Finally, love others as you wish to be loved. Love others as you wish to be loved. You know, again, great biblical commandment. When they, when they confronted Christ to want to trick him as to the commandments, what's the most important commandment? Christ said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, uh, and your mind. And secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as you wish to be loved. And it helps displace and remove the toxicity or the or the um, the infection that toxic shame brings and moves it from us. Just like in number two, realize that people who bring us harm will likely harm themselves with that same understanding, love others. Because you know what, quite frankly, loving is the right thing to do, right? Isn't it? We don't have to necessarily like them because like is based on maybe what they do. But loving is based on who we are, right? So I hope you understand these principles. You know, taming toxic shame is something that is very necessary for most all people, especially those of us who are looking to recover from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Most everyone has experienced toxic shame on some form or another. As mentioned in our definition, for some of us, it has become paralyzing. But I believe that together we can overcome this and live wonderfully productive and and healthy lives. You know, I want to thank you so much for joining this podcast today. I want to encourage you to go to recoveryguide.org, join the movement, Let us help you along the way so we all become more equipped to help others as we move forward. I want to thank you again for all that you do. And as always, my name is Robert, and I am the Recovery Guy.